to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Thank you, everyone, for joining today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Andrew Cushman. Andrew is a principal at Vantage Point Acquisitions, and he has been growing his real estate investment business for over a decade, starting off with completing 27 single-family flips. And in 2011, he transitioned to acquisitioning and repositioning of multifamily properties, where he and his team have now repositioned over 1,800 multifamily units to date. So thank you for joining me today on today's episode, Andrew. How are you doing? Doing pretty well. And actually, as of a few days ago, that number jumped up to 2,100. So, oh, wow. Um, yeah, so we're doing good. Closed on a nice portfolio. So we're, uh, we're excited. Congratulations. So I'd love to get into, if you can share, please, Andrew, a little bit more about your background and how you got started in real estate. Yeah, I took the traditional path into real estate, went and got a chemical engineering degree. I knew I always wanted to do my own thing, even as far back as being a you know kid. I just didn't know what, so I figured an engineering degree, would I'd always have a decent job and a decent income, and I could at least tolerate what I was doing. I uh, worked as an engineer for about seven and a half years, discovered house flipping. Uh, as you mentioned, we uh, in 2007 flipped a condo here in Southern California and basically made almost what I was making at my job uh, all year. I said, well, that sounds like a good path to take. Let's go do some more of these. So I quit my job. Uh, my wife and I went into uh, flipping full-time, did that for a few years, had some good years. And then in 2010, we were like, hey, this has been great, but it's not going to last forever. And it's kind of like another job, right? I mean, you're only good as that next flip. You get a check, great. Now you got to go find another one. And she said, what is more of a lasting business and what's going to be the next big cycle. And so our thought process was, you know, this was 2010, like, hey, we just came, we just ended a huge recession, which means we're probably going to have a significant economic expansion. All these people just got foreclosed on, so they can't buy houses for seven more years. So that means they're going to go rent. So we're like, hey, so let's see, coming, you know, job creation, expansion, no one can buy a house. Apartments should do pretty well. Uh, So we found a mentor, kind of learn the apartment business from. And uh, in 2011, our first property was uh, that we syndicated uh, was a mostly vacant 92-unit uh, apartment complex on the other side of the country in Macon, Georgia. I would not recommend someone make that kind of thing their first deal, but we did. And uh, we survived it and actually worked out well. And then 10 years later, we're at about 2,100 units and have been doing multifamily full-time for about the last 10 years. So. And, you know, especially being from Southern California, were you investing primarily when you were doing your single families in California or also out of state? Now, since then, we've done a few flips remotely, like in places like New Jersey and Arizona and all that. But when that was our main business, I'd say 80% of them were here in Southern California. And for a short period, we were also doing them in Las Vegas uh, back when there was kind of the REO boom. Uh, but yeah, the, flip, the flipping you know, was all here in Southern California where there's tons of equity. And the apartments are all in the Southeast United States where there's great cash flow and equity. And so a lot of people are primarily familiar with investing in their own backyard. And can you talk a little bit about how you were able to make the move and you know buy purchase the first apartment in Georgia all the way across the country? Yeah, you know, so our motto is live where you want to live and invest where the returns are the highest. So we love living in California, but there's lots of reasons to not buy rental property here. 
Uh, and so we determined Georgia, North Florida, Carolinas are good places to own rental property. And the way that we uh, figured out how to make that happen is number one, putting together a, a remote team. Uh, so we found you know, like a really good property management company that was local to the area. And so that they could give us feedback on markets, they could run the property, uh, they could address things that came up. But then also, you know, one of the reasons we went straight to a 92 unit deal was a property that size is able to economically support its own full-time staff. So you can put a full-time property manager there and a full-time maintenance supervisor there to run the day-to-day operations of the property. So we figured out, it's like, okay, if we're going to go remote, we need to have a team in place to do that. Now, for everyone listening, it doesn't mean you have to go straight to 100 units. Uh, let's you, Maybe if you buy a 10-unit property on the other side of the country or even a fourplex, you just need to find a management that specializes in that size deal so that you don't have to be there. And what I found is, contrary to a lot of you know what you might initially think, investing remotely can be more advantageous as an investor because are not faced with the temptation of running out to the property every time some little thing goes wrong. Because as an investor, you shouldn't be going out to look at the water heater leak or whatever. You should be looking for the next deal. And so by investing remotely, it forces you to build the team and put the system and the people in place to take care of that for you. So you can focus on the higher dollar stuff, which is raising money, finding the next deal, uh, building out your network, et cetera. And so when you did the transition from single family to multifamily, was there a huge difference? And then what were kind of like the challenges of getting into multifamily? Yeah, the challenge of, there's a handful of challenges of getting into multifamily. One was just the sheer, you know, the, the size of, of the transaction. So, um, you know, that first one was way back in 2011. Prices were way lower, but money was way harder to raise. Everybody was terrified of real estate in 2011 and justifiably so considering what happened. And so it was a difficult transition because we said, instead of, you know, we would flip a condo in Southern California for $300,000 and we would just go to a private money person, say, hey, we'll give us $300,000. We'll give you a lien. We'll pay you X percent interest and then we'll flip the condo. And that's how that business ran. And so for the first apartment complex, we needed $1.2 million to buy it and renovate it. And we're like, okay, well, we think we can raise this. Again, back in 2011 and have never having done one of those deals before, it took us six months to raise that money. It was, we were far underestimated how difficult it would be back then. And having being a first time apartment uh, owner to raise that money. So that was definitely one of the challenges. Another challenge was properly estimating the renovation. Uh, We bought a 1960s, 1970s construction property that had a lot of deferred maintenance on it. And the problem with those, you you estimate, but once you start digging in and peeling back, it's like peeling the layers off a rotten onion. Every layer reveals something even worse than the previous layer. And so we learned a lot about managing, not only managing a rehab from far away, but managing a very difficult renovation. So that's one thing I would recommend. Your first significant size property, especially if it is remote, try not to do one that's a huge renovation unless you've got you know, maybe your t- one of your team members specializes in that because that actually was what ended up being one of the biggest challenges to working remote was a renovation that was the, that grew to be more than we initially expected. How much did it grow to be bigger than what was originally estimated? I believe our original estimate was like a three hundred and fifty thousand dollar renovation, and I think it ended up total being maybe six or 700. I don't remember. And it, again, it all worked out at the end of the day. We sold the property five years later for 
almost three times what we paid for it. I mean, it, it worked out, but again, and I'm glad we did it because I wouldn't probably wouldn't be here talking to you if we hadn't, but definitely some lessons learned and some challenges overcome. That's part of why I'm half gray is that first property. So, <laughs> so then as you're going in and you're creating a budget for the renovations, what kind of rule of thumb do you typically use now for a budget? Yeah. So our rule of thumb is never use rule of thumbs. That's what was one of the mistakes we made on that first property is we kind of said, all right, well, this should cost 5000 and this should cost 3000 What we do now is so many things that we learned from that first deal and the, the next couple after it that we do now that prevent us from getting into that kind of deal. But as far as the renovations go, we always have contractors walk through and give us written proposals as far as, okay, if we're going to do cabinets, it's going to cost this. The roof needs this much work. This is what it's going to cost. The parking lot needs this much work. It's what it's going to cost. Do we need to replace windows? Just go that entire list of things, whatever you can think of might need to be replaced in a house or a fourplex or 20 unit apartment complex. We get actual proposals on that. So now when we're just making offers in the very beginning stages, that's when we might ballpark it and say, okay, yeah, the roof is going to cost maybe 20 grand or, okay, we're going to spend $6,000 per unit on flooring and counters or, you know, whatever goes in there. And, And we try to be, you know, overestimate those numbers a little bit. That's how we build the budget to make an offer. But before we're closing, before real money is at risk, we've had multiple contractors go through and give us multiple bids on any significant items. So we do have basically hard numbers. We're not going to get caught off. And by doing that, you know, we've always been able to keep our renovations generally within a few percent of what the projected number is. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. Oh, no. Great tip. Thank you. And so can you also, one of the other challenges that you mentioned um, on that first deal was raising capital. And then it took you guys six months to do that back then. And so what kind of strategies or like um, advice would you give to starting out and raising capital? Yeah. One thing that I don't hear too often is to vet your investors. So part of the reason it took six months is because, you know, we needed to raise 1.2 million. And right from the get-go, we had two people that said they were each going to invest 400,000. And so we said, wow, this is awesome. We're already like 75% of the way there or two-thirds of the way there. We only got to go find 400000 Well, when it got closer to closing, we found out one of the guys actually didn't even have the 400000 He He ended up declaring bankruptcy like two years later. So we've taken his word on it. And, and so now you know, that left a big hole. And then the other guy, and this, this is truly our fault is we hadn't communicated well enough to him what the arrangement was and or I didn't ask him enough questions. He had the 400, but he wanted to be a full partner. He wanted to be an operating partner. And 
having partners is one of the best ways to get into the business and one of the best ways to you know have a second set of eyes and add skill sets to what your skill sets are. But this was basically a guy that we didn't really know. And the last thing you want to do is get into business. Getting into business on something like this, where you're going to hold it for five or six years, that's almost the equivalent of a marriage. And you don't want to jump into that with someone that you don't know. It's just like marrying for money, right? Generally, not a good idea. Don't get a business partner just because they said they had a lot of money and you don't know anything else about them. And so we said, sorry. And again, there's nothing wrong with his position. It's just we were coming at it from different angles. He wanted to be full-on controlling partner. And we're like, hey, we don't even know each other. And then some of the things he said kind of indicated, man, this, we might not get along even, even if we did do this. So he said no. Uh, and, and so now all of a sudden we went back to almost zero and we still had to close. So it was just a matter of just months and months of reaching out to every single person we knew. You know, nowadays we generally have a minimum investment of, you know, 50 or 100,000. And, you know, we took 10, 15,000, 10, anything that anybody would be willing to bet on us with. And again, it was mostly, you know, it was, it was family members, it was friends, it was, friends of friends. Uh, and, and we eventually took the last piece is we went to the seller and we said, we didn't want to say, hey, we're having trouble raising money. That's never a good thing. But what we did say, and this was true, we said, hey, when we got through our inspections, the property needed a little bit more work than we thought it initially did. We're not going to retrade you on price, but we want to help ease the capital burden. We want you to carry a note. So we got the seller to agree to carry a couple hundred thousand dollars for five years. And that was enough to bridge the gap and basically get it completed. So it, technically, we actually raised the last big chunk from the seller himself and got it closed. Then we refinanced a couple of years later and paid him off and all that kind of stuff. So the last, actually, the biggest investor was the seller himself. Oh, wow. That's a ends up being very creative. It was great that it ended up working out for everybody on all sides. It did. Uh, and like I said, we eventually, so when we bought it, it was collecting $8,000 a month, which do the math on 92 units. That's pretty sad. Uh, it still is a, it's a low income area, but when we sold it, it was collecting, I, I want to say 38,000 a month or something like that. And so, yeah, again, it worked out, but I still wouldn't recommend <laughs> doing that, doing it that way on your first try. So, and so Andrew, you know, like today you and your company have over 2,100 units and are invested in over 2,100 units now. And so like, as you're building up your portfolio, can you share some of the challenges that you guys face? in terms of finding the acquisitions, building up your investor base, um, making sure the systems are in place. Yeah, and each of those things changes as you as you grow. And so the first thing that we did that was a huge impact, and this is something I recommend that someone, even if you got if you have one fourplex and you're looking to just add that second one, you can do this part-time, is find someone to help you with admin. What all the just the paperwork, the asset management, just all that stuff. It's important. It has to get done. You can't just ignore it. But it doesn't require a high level investor position or, or, or skill set to do that. So get an admin that can be, you can share, even if you, you're like, oh, I don't have, I don't have a need for full-time admin. I would say two things. One, you don't have to get full-time. You can find someone on Upwork or maybe find somebody else who needs admin help and split the cost. Also, what I found is and every time that I've looked at hiring somebody and said, oh, I don't really have need for this position or full-time, the minute I brought them on, as long as they're the right person, 
they will help show you just, wow, okay, you know what? This, they can do this and they can do this. And then all of a sudden you realize, oh, now I have more time to do the high value things that creates value for not only you, and but everyone who's part of your business. You have more time to go network and talk to people to raise money. You have more time to talk to brokers and agents to find deals or cold call sellers or any of that kind of stuff. So the, the one thing I, I would encourage people is hire earlier than you think you need to that if i could go back and do something differently that's actually one of the you know there's did i'm thankful that we have a, an amazing core team now but i wish i had done that five years earlier than i did you know i know one of the the limiting beliefs i had in, in regards to that i was like oh well, if i hire this person that's forty thousand dollars a year in salary i can't afford that or i don't want to afford that you actually remember keep in mind you don't hire somebody and pay their annual salary on day one you pay them every two weeks or once a month, which means you're really only committing for a few months at a time. If it doesn't work out, you can say, hey, this didn't work out. So keep in mind, you say, well, look, I can afford to pay this person for three months. Be honest with them. Let them know up front. Say, hey, you know what? Do you, are you willing to join me on this? And if it works, then this will continue. And that's great. So yeah, bring someone on early. That was That was something that I learned. And also we developed a very stringent screening process for determining the types of properties we will buy and in the areas we will buy them. And we do not deviate from that. That has saved us so much headache uh, over the years once we figured that out. So, Awesome. Thank you so much for sharing, Andrew. And so now what is really next for you and your company? We're looking to actually continue to scale up our acquisitions. We have moved more into the solid, I'd say B minus to A minus space. We have a larger team now. Added some people to help with source acquisitions because the last the, the deal that we just closed, we had to analyze almost 350 properties to find that one. And that takes a while. And how do we shorten the timeline between deals without lowering the standards? It's like, well, that means we have to figure out how to process 350 deals much faster. That entails building out some systems, but then adding team members. So we're looking to do to continue to add properties. And we feel like, especially in an inflationary environment, holding hard assets like real estate is going to be a hedge against inflation and something that is part of, uh, should be part of really anybody's portfolio. And then uh, during COVID times, when we, we kind of had six months of, uh, of slower activity, we finally got around to starting a, a mastermind for apartment investors. Uh, people have been asking for years and years, and we just never had the time. And so when we had six months of not doing as much, yeah, we created a mastermind. It's called Multifamily Accelerator. It's not a guru course. It's not a $30,000 coaching program. It's basically for anyone who's done some kind of investment, whether it's a duplex, it doesn't have to be 2,000 units, but if you've done a duplex, you qualify. The idea is, is for people who have taken the leap, who've started their investment business, but are looking to be part of a group and network so that they can shorten the learning curve and leverage other people's resources and connections and possibly partnerships and and, and scale and grow their business faster. And so we started that and that's been going for uh, a little over half a year now. And that's been fun. And we learn a lot too. And, uh, we're, and we're working on growing that alongside with uh, acquisitions and operations business. Oh, that's great, Andrew. And so how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? I mean, significant. Uh, you know, the, the main reason that we went into it was the, the ability to control our own time and schedule. And while we still work a lot, you know, we can pick whatever 12 hours a day we want to work. No, we actually, it's not that bad. So it definitely has provided, I've been doing work from home for 13 years now, and I'm very thankful that I've been able to do that. That was one of the original goals. 
And then another thing I love about real estate investing and, and ha- making a business out of it is the upside's unlimited. Typically, when you're in a W-2 job, if you do a great job, hopefully you'll get a raise or a bonus or something like that. And that's good. And, and I certainly was appreciative of that when I was when I was an engineer. The really cool thing about having your own business and investing in real estate is there is somebody else isn't determining what, what your limit is. It's really determined by you and the actions you take in the business that you build. And that's really exciting. In my experience, you're going to end up working hard almost no matter what you're doing. So you might as well have unlimited upside to it and enjoy it along the way. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? We could do a few more episodes on that. Well, I I already mentioned bring on team members earlier than you think you need to. That's definitely one. And uh, I think I may have mentioned this, but I would have gone straight into B-class properties and not into the hard Cs. And for those who don't know, you know, A-class are kind of like the nice newer stuff. B-class is more your workforce housing. And then C is people who are generally renters for life, right? They're just kind of month, you know, paycheck to paycheck. They can, you know, they can make it and make ends meet, but barely. And then D is the properties that no one really wants to talk about, but that's where you got to pack heat if you're going to go to collect rent. So, And what is one thing that sets the successful people apart in the real estate investing business? Relentless persistence. It is... Definitely is not easy, but it is worthwhile. And you know, I mentioned earlier the deal just closed. We had to look through 347 other properties to find that one that really, really worked. Uh, and that that takes a lot of time and persistence. And I'd be fully transparent. I when deal number 294 shows up in my inbox, I look at it and like, well, this is probably going to be a waste of time. And you have to fight against that mentality because it's not a waste of time because even though it's, yeah, this one's probably also not going to work, it gets you one step closer to finding the one that does. And so it's that relentless determination and persistence to keep going. One of the beautiful things about real estate is it's all been figured out. Like you don't have to come up with a new way of doing it. Just find someone who's doing successfully doing what you want to do and go copy them and just say, well, if that person's doing it and I do what they do, all I have to do is keep doing it long enough and it'll eventually work. So relentless persistence. Yeah. Sometimes when you're not seeing too much traction, it's easy to get off and fall off the band, fall off the horse. But like you said, if you have continuous action and then just keeping your spirits up, you know, eventually something will um, happen. Yep, exactly. So... And are there any tools or techniques that you've used to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life that you can share? Uh, well, I mean, there's lots of, I mean, I can, there's a handful of tools. Uh, I use a, use um, a lot of people have heard of Trello and Monday.com and, and Asana. We've started, our team has been using a newer one called ClickUp. It's been fantastic. We use that to manage our acquisitions, our renovations, our team meetings, everything. That's been really good. I also use a, an app called Todoist, T-O-D-O. I-S-T, uh, for kind of managing and scheduling tasks. And then as far as a, a habit or technique that has been super helpful for me is every night, the, the one of the last things I do is, is, is schedule out the next day. So when I get up in the morning, I already know everything I'm going to attempt to do that day in the order that I'm going to attempt to do it, generally with the most important or in, most impactful things first. And so every night I do that so that the next morning that's already done and the day is set. 
And then on Saturday evening, I do a weekly version of that, kind of review the past week and then plan out the next week and realizing there's going to be shifts and changes because things come up, right? You find, you look at property 348 and it works. Well, everything else, now you've got a whole new project. So no, there's going to be changes in flexibility. I have found that to be incredibly effective, not only for productivity, for just peace of mind, knowing that, okay, everything's basically in its place and, and will be dealt with in its proper time and not just have your mind, at least for me anyway, not have my mind swimming with the 873 things I got to do next week. So thank you so much for sharing, Andrew. And thank you for sharing your experiences today and your journey of how you started and where you are today. It's really incredible to see what you've been able to accomplish with consistent action and, and persistence. I say it hasn't been easy, but it's absolutely been worth it. And uh, we love it. Enjoy it. Hope to continue doing it for a good while more. Thank you. And so, Andrew, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you do, and then also, you know, maybe take a look at your mastermind, where can they go? Yeah. uh, If you Google Vantage Point Acquisitions, we're generally the top result, but the website is vpacq.com. And then if you put Vantage Point Acquisitions into Instagram or Facebook, you'll find it on all the socials. But the best way is just go to our website. There's a handful of ways to reach out and connect uh, on there. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Andrew. I appreciate you taking the time today to be our guest. Oh, you're welcome. It was good talking with you. Take care. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.